from the 10. Probably the final play of the game. In regulation. It is caught by Dyson. Can he get in? No, he cannot. Mike Jones made the tackle. And the Rams have won the Super Bowl. Welcome to Bigger Than the Game with Dermy and Jose. I'm Dermy Dove. I'm joined by my co-host, my tag team partner, president of the Thurman Thomas Fan Club, Mr. Jose Ruiz. What's going on, man? What's going on, Dermy? How you doing, man? Yo, man, I'm doing great. I can't lie. I'm still, you know, we're recording this Thursday night. I'm still, like, kind of, like, coming down from that amazing divisional playoff Dude, weekend. I couldn't even sleep that night, man. Yeah. It, it was nuts, man. Like, my emotions were up and down. And, again, we had no fight, no dog in the fight. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it was just great teams and great offenses, great quarterback play. It was a it was a great weekend for football. And it's weird because, like, obviously football is number one in this country. It's top sport. And people may be like, that's a weird comment you're about to make. But it's like, to me, the NFL needed that. Yes. It needed a weekend like that. Like, to me, of a, a kind of a, uh past couple of seasons even a weekend before it was and, like blowouts yeah the wild card weekend before was not great like the nfl needed a weekend like what we just had for the divisional yeah and what i also liked it was you know you had brady in there but you had aaron Rodgers. but that new wave is, is coming and is, is actually taking over the league you know we, brady had a great year aaron Rodgers obviously might win mvp but you got to see mahomes and you know you got to see so many of these young great quarterbacks that are like taking over for those guys like the big bends are gone like you know what i mean like they're right. here comes this new wave and it's going to be super exciting for sure so it's crazy because the rams got the win the la rams la rams yeah beat the bucks they're in the championship game for this week but it connected you you know you texted me after that and it was like hey it kind of fits because we're going to go a little back in time you know we're hitting the uh, delorean and we're going back to when the rams were in st louis and I wanted to ask you, Jose, isn't it crazy if I told someone who didn't know, I'm like, we have this team with the maybe the greatest Cinderella story team of all time in NFL history, yep. this quarterback with maybe the most Cinderella kind of career, you know, this out of nowhere, you know, from nothing to something, you know, zero to hero kind of story, maybe the greatest in NFL history. Maybe sports history. Maybe sports history, Absolutely. You know, the, a coach who had been gone for years, and he gets his redemption story. All This offense, that's one of the great offenses of all time. But yet we can say, were they overachievers or underachievers? That's a great question, man. And hopefully we can figure that out by the end of this episode. But this Rams, that St. Louis Rams team, took over, took over the NFL in a couple years. We're going to definitely get into that three-year window. We're looking at 1999 through 2001. Um, kind of like talk about how this team got started. You know, we're going to talk that meat and potatoes, like those two, those three great seasons offensively. Definitely, we'll talk a little bit about that defense, their coaching staff, like up and down. We're going to take a deep dive into that St. Louis Rams team, and then maybe at the end, ask what happened to that team. You know really? what I mean? Like, so yeah, I'm very excited for this episode because you know it's the greatest show on turf, Rams, and it's a name that is one of the best nicknames, one of the time. best nicknames in NFL history for you know a team. And for three years, people now, if you're young, you don't remember that nope. St. Louis had a football team. So it's like, hey, not only did they have a team, 
they were like the center of the NFL universe from 99, 2000, and 2001. All eyes were on these St. Louis Rams, and it was something to see. Yeah, I mean, if you're, you know, if you don't remember, just look at what Kansas City is doing in today's game and what Mahomes and, you know, Tyreek Hill and Kelsey are doing. Like, this was the Rams back in 99, 2000, and 2001. Everybody had Rams gear on. Like, that was the hot team to root for. You know, you had country grammar going off everywhere with Nelly rocking the jerseys, and he was really pumping that team. So to me, that even elevated them even more because that St. Louis hip-hop scene was really blowing up at that same time. St. Lunatics. St. Lunatics, yeah. I was was trying to remember what it was, Mm -hmm. and I'm glad you said that. Um, But, yeah, no, this this was the hot team. This was the, the... this is the game you couldn't miss. You know, they were Monday night all the time playing the Bucks and all that. That, that was a great, you know, couple-year rival right yeah. there. And it, it was just, but deservingly so, I would say that, because it was so much fun to watch this team play. So much fun, yet you can also argue that they leave some championships on the table. Oof. But to me, you know, we have to look at it. It starts, you know, not 99, but it starts 97 when, you know, they hired Dick Vermeil. And to me, what's interesting about that is I think now, you know, a coach who a coach with a big name may have a long gap. You know, John Gruden did that. I feel like, you know, somehow if Bill Cower got hired, if Tony Dungy came back, they've been gone for a while. It wouldn't be as weird. You know, we're more used to it. But back in 97, Dick Vermeil had been out of coaching for 14 years. He had been broadcasting. And the big thing with him is, you know, he did his first stint lead the Eagles to a Super Bowl appearance. But when he retired in 1983, he kind of, to me, made that you know term really popular, not just in sports but everywhere, that burnout term. So Dick Vermeil, you know, left for burnout, and you, people kind of wondered, like, well, he burned out before when he was younger. Now he's older and in his 60s. Can he, you know, live up to the job for a franchise that had moved opposite, L.A. Yeah. to St. Louis, and since they had been in St. Louis, had been just perennial losers. Yeah, and I, you know what's funny, man, that you say that? I was thinking the same exact thing, because you hear that a lot today. Yeah. You know, like the burnout, especially with like a lot of people like myself. I know you can, you know, you have the option as well working from home, and, you know, you can feel that burnout pretty quickly, man, When if you don't take care of yourself. Self-care is like a huge deal now. Right, right. You know, but back back then in 83, self-care, people weren't really talking about that, you know. And not that I know. I was like three you know what I mean but <laughs> you know people were looking at him like what is going on like you don't you didn't really hear this and you hear this a lot today with coaches like they're you know definitely a lot of these coaches are retiring because it's you know the, that's the wear and tear the head coach position is is insane you know you're pretty much the CEO almost of, a, of this organization man and you know if you look back at the history man he got he was hired in 75 as for the Eagles you know and you hear all the story, all the two-a-day stories, all how he used to grind these teams up, man. And, you know, like, you're right there. I mean, like, people looked at it, you know, when he was hired by the Rams. It's like, can he handle this, you know? And, you know, he had a great press conference, you know, how he was talking about, of course, the broadcasting career. He did a great job broadcasting. I used to he like was good. He was good. He was doing college football especially. And, you know, that was a big question. Will he be able to handle the NFL today after being out for so long? And we all we all got that answer. And you know, it was funny because a lot of times they also knew and the Rams players heard, uh oh, this guy coming in here, burnout, and the stories are infamous with Dick Vermeer. Like yeah. you said, those crazy two a days, you know, um just weird, you know, he had gotten bad where he was, you know, trying to multitask, so he's 
on the toilet, but also eating a hoagie <laughs> and try, hey, I'm saving time. You know, it had gotten that bad for him. So when players hear that, they're thinking, all right, if this guy's that intense, he's going to wear us down. And to be fair, they weren't wrong. You know, those first oh, two absolutely years. Absolutely not. You yeah. know, Dick Vermeil's known for the, the emotion, the tears. We know that. But he's also known for, he. he's, hey, got to go to work. This team's mantra in 99, got to go to work. He's yeah. going to, he, his thing is, hey, we're struggling. We just work harder, work harder. And he was wearing these teams out. And it even showed, I mean, there was lack of talent, but those first two years, 5 and 11 the first year, then he went 4 and 12 the second year. It was kind of looking like, is this Vermeil experiment not really working, you know? Yeah. I mean, and he had a history of this, right? Like we talked about in Philly, you know, even he coached in UCLA. That was his first, like, big head coaching job. Mm-hmm. And, you know they played they played Ohio State in Rose Bowl. I'm trying to remember what year. I think it was seventy. That was the seventy six. Seventy six season, yeah. Or seventy five, but it was January of right, seventy six. Right. Yeah, seventy five season. And you know he was trying to do. He was doing two days before the Rose Bowl, dude. Like that's insane, man. And he did the same thing in Philly. Like that Super Bowl week, he was running two days. Like you can't. That's too much, man. Like even players, I, I heard a quote. A player was like, "I feel like we're playing three games a week." Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, and we think about the NFL today, how we look at guys playing from a Thursday to like Sunday or Sunday to Thursday meeting, and you know how that wear and tear like that beats people up, man. And he he was not worrying about that. <laughs> like yeah. it was it was his way or that's it, man. And you know, in UCLA, players were almost you know boycotting, like, boycotting. You know, before that before that Rose Bowl. In Philly, I mean, in St. Louis, it almost happened again. Like, they were about to boycott him again. And then, luckily, that that time around, he started making a shift on how he was doing things with coaching. Yeah, and I think that was huge. He listened. Right. He For listened. the first time. You know, yeah. he, he finally, he saw, you know. And I think also he knew, you know. And there was t- those teams were bad those years. You know, the Lawrence Phillips experiment. Yeah. Tony Banks, no offense, but it was, it was, it was rough watching that. But he kind of listened, and he knew, like, he needed to change because – it still actually it doesn't always apply, but that three year rule for a coach is always like if you're not getting it by that third year, usually you're out. Yeah, and sometimes it's even quicker nowadays. But usually that three years, if you're not seeing that improvement, front office is kind of getting you. So he had nine wins in the first two years. That going into '99, that off season, he knew that it was really make or break for him in St. Louis. Yeah, and I also think that's what led to. Him making moves the way they did in that offseason, you know, um, the big free agent move was signing Trek Green from Washington. And, you know, like Mike Martz was obviously an offensive coordinator and we'll we'll get into that name as well. But he was under Mike Martz in Washington. So they obviously were very familiar and, you know, they make the major move, you know, that offseason and, and trading for one of my favorite players of all time and Marshall Falk. And you talked about being a president of the Thurman Thomas fan club like. This that's the one guy I would say is he's better than Thurman Thomas in my opinion. But they that I love those type of backs. You know what I mean? Like can, can run the ball, not like an Emmitt Smith, right? Like you know he's running through huge holes. Like we, any running back can do that. But you know if you're running out of the backfield, catching passes, doing all that stuff, you're going to be one of my favorite players. Emmitt Smith, the all-time leading rusher, and you know. Yeah. Got the Cowboys a division title on a separated shoulder. But we won't get into the Emmett versus Thurman Thomas debate here. No, no. As no, for no. listen to the check the archives check on the nineties <laughs> Cowboys, you know, I had to school Jose on that one. Mm. But, you know, those moves were huge. And like you said, the big ones at the time the big one was 
the Trent Green move. Oh, yeah. Bringing him in to be the starting quarterback. And also Mike March was the QB coach with Washington. Bringing him in to be the first, his first time as being an offensive coordinator. Um, Marshall Falk kind of was looking. He was disgruntled in Indy. You know, that was 98 was the first year. Peyton Manning, he was there. This rookie coming up. Uh, they had a young offense well, there. They won three games. They went 3-13. and 13. It yeah. was a struggle. And they pretty much say, hey, we're kind of done. And it worked out for Indy because they draft Edger and James in the 99 draft. But they wound up giving Marshall way for a couple of draft picks. A second and a fifth. You know? Eesh. And for a guy who he – you look at what he was doing in Indy, stat-wise, was a Pro Bowl running back. He was a three-time Pro Bowler, man. Like, young, you know what I mean? Like, he was a great player. He was a, he was their offense, even though they had Peyton Manning. You could, you'll hear, you'll see Peyton Manning in interviews and hear what he has to say, and he was like, it was Marshall Falk. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and he, Marshall Falk was teaching Peyton Manning how to read defenses, things like that. So it was, like, you looked at that trade, and you're like, wow, like, they're trading Marshall Falk. But like you said, like, it was getting bad at the end there at Indy with contract stuff. And, you know, it seems like they did them kind of wrong at the end there. And, you know, Jim Moore, was he was late. Like, come on, man. Like, yeah. you know, he, was, he wasn't late. But whatever. Um, they, they were doing them wrong, and it was ending ugly, and they trade him away. And you're like, all right, St. Louis, like, you know, you got Marshall Falk. You know, Trent Green was a hot name that offseason. You draft Torrey Holt. Torrey, that's the big sixth pick, Torrey Holt. The, the sixth pick. So now you're like, okay, like, you got Isaac Bruce already there. All right, this this thing might work a little bit here. Yeah. So and you know Isaac Orlando Pace. Orlando Pace is that already was there. Dick Vermeil's first pick. You know, ninety seven. Orlando Pace. You know. So you're having these guys who we see later on are Hall of Famers or borderline Hall of Fame guys. But that move with if you look at the Trent Green move and Mike March's. What was highlighted? Tory Holt was just oh nice pick. Marshall Falk. Who winds up becoming? We'll talk about just how dynamic he oh, becomes yeah. in this greatest show on turf era, but that wasn't the move that people were talking about. And it's funny now. That's why it's good to look back and do this like this history, you know, because back then it was the Trent Green thing. Yeah, and and that's what everyone was excited about. And they had made those moves, but people were excited about the Rams for the first time really since they were in St. Louis. People were hype. And really thinking the Rams could make a push for the playoffs. Yeah, and it, it, they should have been excited because that Trent Green move was a good move, right? Like he was a young quarterback. He was coming up. You knew he was gonna, you know, you knew he was gonna play well. You know, they, they, he was a QB that you can possibly build around, and that's exactly what they were doing. They were already working on the offensive line the season before, or a couple of seasons before, with the Atlanta Pace pick. Um, again, you you sign Mar- you trade for Marshall Falk. You have these two wide receivers now. Now you got the quarterback. And even the players are getting excited. You know, again, the organization who has been terrible for years. Like, before this 99 season, I'm, I'm trying to remember. Was it like that Jim Everett run there? Yeah, it was 89. Yeah, like, that, that was probably the last competitive Rams team that and I And they were remember. back in L.A. slash Anaheim right, back then. Right, you know? so it's it, they, they were thirsty, man, for this Rams team. And, you know, and again, we look at it now. And you think, like, and it's funny how, like, the NFL just happens. It's like it happened with the Colts. The Colts were terrible when I was growing up. The Patriots were a laughing stock of the league when I was growing up. Almost got sold. Right. Green Bay was terrible for a long time. Like, you look at all these teams, and, and the Rams were there, too. Mm-hmm. You know, the Rams were one of those teams where you look at it and you're like, oh, the Rams, ah, that's an easy W. You ask the 49ers, right? Like, yeah. And, you know, so now you got all these pieces. Now you're building some excitement, especially, you know, moving back to St. Louis. So you, you definitely needed that excitement. But I also feel Vermeil needed that to 
you know, keep them that season for sure. For sure. And the thing is, everyone was excited. But then you get to the preseason and that third game, you know, the Rams are at home. And it's that third game traditionally is, hey, that first half, starters versus starters. Yeah. They're playing San Diego Chargers. Trent Green's killing it. He was 11 of 11. 11 for 11, yeah. Doing great. And then Rodney Harrison. Yep. Rodney Harrison comes in on, a lot of people thought, dirty play. I think it was an accident. No, I don't think it was a dirty play. But Rodney Harrison winds up coming in and hitting Trent Green low. And, Jose, just like uh, what we talked about last week with the 90 championship game, you know, last week he talked about Leonard Marshall hitting Joe Montana and that one hit, how much it affected legacies and changed NFL history. The same thing goes yeah. right here. When Rodney Harrison winds up hitting Trent Green low and blowing out that knee, it really did change NFL history. Absolutely, man. And it started, you know, started that Kurt Warner, Kurt Warner era, man. And, you know, so I, I was thinking, right, like I, I know this is like a huge deal, right, for this organization and this and, and this greatest show on turf, you know. But I wanted to ask you a couple questions here. Um, so I'm glad we're here at this spot. So because I, I have I know I know what I'm thinking about this. So if if Trent Green doesn't get hurt, do the Rams have the same success or close to? No, you don't think so? No, they're a playoff team. They're not a Super Bowl team. Tell me, tell me why. Because I, we kind of, the Trent Green couldn't do what Kurt Warner could do, and I think that Trent Green couldn't make those throws and didn't yeah. have the arm, and wasn't used to kind of throwing the ball around the way we saw. Trent Green had a really good offense in Kansas City, yeah, and he wasn't doing. Kurt Warner did historic stuff when he got in there. Yeah, he was yeah. a gun like that gunslinger mentality. Kurt Warner had that you man, know. and he was. He was not scared to stand in that pocket, and, and and he paid a price for that for sure. But yeah, I, I, I'm just I'm just asking because it, it just again I, I was curious because again like the wide you, you listen to Tory Holt talk about Trent Green and he was like man he was so accurate. You know I agree with the arm strength. I think Kurt Warner definitely had a stronger arm, but you know I, it's just like one of those what ifs, right? Like what what would happen if Trent Green Woods was to be the quarterback? They, of this, I think of this it, it would have been a successful thing, but I I just think it would have been. It wouldn't have been a historic because he didn't have what Kurt had as far as that ability. Right. You know, so I think it just would have lacked. And to me, he showed that. Yeah, yeah. He did get an opportunity later, and it showed. He had a dynamic offense there. Yeah, Priest Holmes, all of them you know, guys. Yeah. So um, it wasn't the same. Right. But And, and you, like you said, like, think about how many legacies that injury changed. You know what I mean? Like you're looking at, you know, and you just talked about it, like, He's not a good as he's not a good quarterback as he's not as good as Kurt Warner. So now you're looking at legacies for Torrey Holt. Now you're looking at legacies for Isaac Bruce. Marshall Falk's legacy is going to change. Dick Vermeil's legacy is changing. You know, all that, all of that, and like it's it's it changed so much. And obviously, if you're a Rams fan, it changed it for the better. Unfortunately for Trent Green, but you know it, it it's crazy, man. We talked about it our last show, like how something like that can just alter teams, not just that team, just like NFL teams it, in general. Uh, Rodney Harrison's legacy. Rodney Harrison was labeled a dirty player for a long time because of this play, and really kind of wasn't looked at great in San Diego, and then kind of got thrown out like he's done. Yeah. And then New England Belichick brings him in, but just that kind of that label stuck with him for a long time for this play and he felt that as intense as Rodney Harrison was as a safety he felt like he had this label for this play on Trent Green and you know we look at it now it can talk about and we know what Kurt Warner became but at the time 
you felt like the Rams were done. Oh, yeah. And the Rams were devastated, and it had an effect that, you know, on that team. Warner, a capable backup, but certainly not where Trent Green is. You get emotional, you know, it hurts. But uh, that's, that's what this business is all about. We will rally around Kurt Warner, and we'll play good football. You know, that's the thing, man. It was... The thing is, I I know you you know Jose rolled his eyes. Dick Vermeil cries a lot, but I, I felt this one. I'll say this: he did an amazing job at this press conference, even with the crying. And uh, I'm going to get emotional. Like I feel like he does that every other interview. But I, I love Dick Vermeil. I know you're a b- huge fan of Dick Vermeil, yeah. but that that just gets me. But um, he did. He stepped up and did a great job. I'll give him that. Like even though again, like he was all emotional and stuff, but. The way, you know, he kind of like cemented that and he, he was there and he was like had 100% confidence and he was like, we're going to rally around Kurt Warner. And I was like, even when I watched that, I was like, who the hell is, one, who the hell is Kurt Warner? Mm-hmm. But two, okay, maybe they will. You now, know what I mean? Like, I have a question for you here. Okay. It's a little bit of a sidebar, but I always think about this because you look at what happened to the Rams in 99 and with Trent Green going down third game of the preseason and then being able to go on that great journey when the Super Bowl. But you look at, like we talked about last week, the 90 Giants who are doing great, 10 and, you know, 1, and then their starting quarterback goes down, you know, a few weeks left in the season. The Eagles in 2017, when Wentz having the MVP year, at the end goes down and Nick Foles comes in. Which one, in your opinion, is harder? If your starting quarterback goes down preseason like that or – late in the year when you're having a great year in that starting quarterback, which was more of like a impressive feat for you? Ooh, um, I think the late in the year injury, I, I think it's really tough to overcome because I, I feel like if it happens in the preseason, you have the rest of the season to like kind of work him in and, you know, get him acclimated to the offense and, you know, and him building, you know, relationships and all that with his, you know, wide receivers, running backs, all that stuff, man. But at the end of the year, you just throw a guy in there in a playoff run, and he's got to do all of that in big-time games. Like, I, I think that's really, really tough, man, in my opinion. And, again, you just mentioned a couple quarterbacks who did it. Hostetler, you know, he did that, and which is, for me, very, very impressive, you know, to step in like that and, and lead a team. And Because, again, like, some of those teams you mentioned, their style of play was a certain way, and now you got to possibly switch that over and change that. Maybe if you're in a passing offense, now you may have to run the ball more or vice versa. And, you know, I, I think if, if the guy gets hurt early like Trent Green did, they obviously you just had all preseason. You had training camp, and Warner was there for training camp, and, you know, he was playing probably with, like, the twos or whoever, and, you know, he was building that, like, rhythm and all that with some of these guys, maybe like an Azakim more than a Torrey Halt and Isaac Bruce, but... I think that's easier. I don't know if easier is the right word, but I think it is. I think it is an easier transition than, than if it was late in the year. See, I'm always. I was opposite. Nah, I don't think so. I was opposite, man. I just think like, especially for like the Rams too. When you have a late run, and we kind of saw it with a lot of you know, the Eagles with McNabb, those couple you know, in '02 when he got hurt, and he got hurt down the stretch. You are showing like the '90 Giants knew they were a good team. They knew they had a good. All right, it's a blow, but we're proven. We're ten and you know at the time like ten and one. We're yeah. a good team. The Eagles were. We knew a good team, and it's devastating. And I think you're right. Easy, you know, easier is a tough. It's like they're all hard. It's all great Cinderella kind of comeback seasons. But I think like 
man, you're banking. All right, this can be our year to do something special. And then, boom, that guy gets hurt. It's just like it lets the air out before you even got going. And you're trying to prove that you're a good team. You know what I mean? But, I mean, I think it's both. But I always looked at, like, I think that's why this is, like, always, like, the best turnaround, the best Cinderella story for a team. Yeah. Was ninety nine Rams, you know, for me at least. Yeah, and even that that play, that Trent Green play, and um, one thing it also did. All I, I I saw an interview with Marshall Falk, and he was talking about, you know, it was preseason, and you know, I I didn't really like fully like commit to that block, and I just kind of like pushed him by, thinking he was just going to go ahead by. It was preseason, and then he was really he took that injury like really hard. You know what I mean? Like he was kind of almost saying it was like his fault, you know. And he was like, since after that play, he was like. I never ever kind of like just kind of coasted in a game, no matter preseason or whatever. I went hard all the time, and you know stuff like that. And you hear it all the time, like you got to play hard because that's when injuries come. If you're just out there, you know, just going through the motions, man. And that was, you know, again, it was an f- unfortunate thing for Trent Green, man. But like we just talked about, it just, you know, it started a new era, man. It did, and I think it, it also, you know, that changed a lot of things because then a lot of people were like, hey. Is it worth playing people in the preseason? Yeah. And I think a lot of people go back to this Trent Green play, even though it winds up working out, like, not for him, but for the team and the Rams. It's like, do we want to lose our star player, uh, you know? Yeah. And do, do we have a Hall of Fame backup quarterback? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's like, do we have enough, you know? But, you know, it leads, and we heard the clip to, to Kurt Warner. And now, you know, we see Kurt Warner's a Hall of Famer on NFL Network every Sunday. But this is the greatest underdog story like you said oh yeah maybe in sports man and yeah. you got a guy who he's a backup but the story he was cut by the packers winds up working at a grocery store he's bagging groceries man overnight too. overnight you know <laughs> he's what I mean? working he's that's me shelves, that's me I, I go shopping i get the groceries late night oh that's the best there's nobody there exactly line, no lines i but. never got why people i'm glad they don't because it's i don't want people to catch on to that trend but yeah. i'm like Man, you you don't go later, like you know, like no, I go at five o'clock. I go, yeah, and you're there for an hour waiting in line. (laughs) I go, what a fool. So I'm like, nah, man. But you know, to getting cut by the Packers, to bagging groceries, to being in the Arena Football League, yeah, you know, just a whirlwind. He's an undrafted guy. I remember this interview with Brett Favre, where it is funny because I I I like and I appreciate the candor because Favre was talking and Steve Mariucci was talking. He was the you know. I saw that, yeah. You know, coach, assistant coach for the Packers back then, and it was like they're in training camp and they're going reps, and it's Kurt Warner's turn, and he asked, like, not to do it. He <laughs> didn't want to do the reps, and they were all like, what? Like, he he was just kind of mentally, like, deflated, and he knew Favre was the guy, and Brunel was there. Brunel was there, yeah. Ty Detmer, and he kind of didn't think it. So, like, they didn't. It, he didn't go in for those reps. And, you know, reps are key in training camp. Yeah. And Brett Favre said after he, you know, wins the Super Bowl – him and Ty Detmer and Brunel will make a joke where it's like, oh, I don't want to go into training camp. I'll go into the Super Bowl, <laughs> yeah. but I don't want to. I don't want to go in. I don't want to go in. And Mariucci said, he's like, I don't regret it because he wasn't ready then. Yeah, he wasn't ready, and I like that. He was honest. Like, no, he, he wasn't the Kurt Warner you saw five years later. He he wasn't ready at ninety four. Yeah, I, I like Mariucci. He was really honest. But you know, you see him. He's really media savvy as well. But you can see him in interviews, and he was a really good quarterback coach and offensive coordinator. But yeah, I mean, in Green Bay, he was definitely not ready for. I mean, he wasn't cracking those that starting, not starting lineup, but he wasn't cracking that quarterback room. And it was three really solid quarterbacks at the time. You know, all three of these guys went and started everywhere and somewhere else. So, you know, like 
he was the, he was definitely nowhere near where he was, you know, where he's here in '99. And a lot of people, and I think even um, Warner talks about this, is like that time in the Arena League where you mm-hmm. just chucking it everywhere, you know, like, and you're squeezing in a lot of these passes into small windows. And he he gives a lot of credit to that that time he spent in the arena in the Arena League, you know, kind of like honing his skills, his passing skills for sure. No, and I think that's. Another reason why I do think he wound up, you know, was by accident, like being a better fit was Trent Green didn't have that, you know. Right. And I think sometimes it's it's a it can be a benefit. You don't know what you don't know. Yeah. All Kurt Warner knew was Arena Football League. He had a little time in NFL Europe, but he knew just hey, you're throwing the ball around like all over the place. So when you come into this type of you know offense that Mike Mars, the first year offensive coordinator, had. He wound up by accident having the perfect guy to, hey, <laughs> yeah. we're spreading it out and we're throwing it into these tight windows and throwing it all over the place. He had the guy in Kurt Warner, and that was huge. Yeah, that was that was definitely huge. And, again, I, I was mentioning earlier, a guy who was not afraid to stay in that pocket. You know what I mean? Like he, we're, we're not confusing Kurt Warner with, like, Michael Vick at this time, like, for sure. And But, like, I, I'll give him—he was a tough guy, man. I, I'll give him that, man. I'll give Warner that. He was standing there, those seven-step drops. Like, he had to wait for these receivers to get open down the field. It wasn't—you know, it wasn't no West Coast offense, quick passing plays like you see a lot today. It's seven-step drop, get these guys in there, and, and then throw the ball. And he was—he took a punishment, man, for sure, throughout his career. But that— that's that's for me like what made him so great. It was like he was not scared to take that hit to make that big throw. And throughout his career in big games, he definitely did that. And it kind of, I remember for me, it did kind of sneak up. You know, I remember going to an Eagles game that year, and it was like, oh yeah, surprise team. These the three and zero Rams. It's like yeah, the Rams are three and zero with court, uh, quarterback Kurt Warner. And I'm like, oh yeah, they are three and zero. Okay, but it was like you know they had to buy that Week Five game. Against the Niners, yeah, Niners have beaten them seventeen games in a row. Dude, that's a long time. That's man. a bad streak. Seventeen games in a row. That's almost nine it. seasons, man. Yeah, like that's ridiculous. Like that's that's why. Like I and not to like get off track too much. And we talked about the 49ers in our last episode. Check the archives. Check them. You know they that NFC West was terrible <laughs> for a long time. You know you had you had the Rams. You had obviously the 49ers. Um, Saints, you know, Saints were Saints were in that good Falcons for, and were the there. Falcons, yeah. And this is like pre prime time Falcons, like so it, it it was an easy it was a it was an easy walk for the Forty ers but seventeen in a row is impressive on both sides. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and that was the game. You know, it mattered to those Rams, a guy like yeah. Isaac Bruce who had been there for a while, uh, a DN Kevin Carter, guys who had been there and had felt those losses. This game mattered. They wanted to stop that streak. They retired the Niners. Clips of, you know, Ken Norton using, yeah, you know, hitting bag. the punching bag. And Dana Stubblefield talked, saying the same old sorry-ass Rams. They were tired of it. And this is the game that really kind of put them on the map. And they went out. And Isaac Bruce had five catches that day. So everyone's only only five. <laughs> Four of them were for touchdowns. Yeah. He had a monster game. And over 140 yards. You know, that's what, what Isaac Bruce wound up doing, you know. Four touchdowns that game, and that's really the coming out party for the greatest show on turf offense. Yeah, he was he was emotional on the sidelines, like you know what I mean. It was a it was a big deal because he you, you talked about like that Ken Norton play when he's, he intercepted the pass, runs it in for a touchdown, and then goes to the goalpost like and starts doing like a punching bag, like almost like a Vicega Hammer type thing. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, he said, I would never forget that. You know what I mean? Like that he did that. And, and you, I don't know. Like I, I get it from like a 49er standpoint. Like these dudes were like running over these dudes every year. But, you know, that can that can motivate a lot of dudes, man, a lot of players, man. And it definitely motivated the Rams. And again, and they didn't just beat them. They trashed them. They beat 42 them. 42-20. 20. 42 to 20, man. And they blew them out. And like you said, like that was the uh, – because week one, you know, they, they beat the Falcons. They blow the Falcons out. You know, Cincinnati was terrible at this time. They blow the, you know, the Bengals out. And then, you know, the 49ers, it's like, no, week one was Baltimore. I'm sorry. Week one was Baltimore. And, you know, but they blowed Baltimore out. They beat them by 17 points. And, but that 49ers game, like you said, like that was the game where we were like, all right, this team is legit. Yeah, this offense legit. And this is when it started, man. And let's talk about that offense. You know, Mike March is the offensive coordinator, but this offense does, you have to give it credit, changes. Oh, yeah. Offense in NFL history, yeah. you know, and it was different. You know, you weren't used to seeing, hey, four first down, four wideouts coming out there like that. Yeah. It was a different offense. You had, hey, Isaac Bruce had been there, Pro Bowl receiver. Torrey Holt, who winds up, I think he should be in the Hall of Fame. He'll be there. You know, he's, he's a rookie in 99, but you have Torrey Holt. You have Oz Akeem as that slot guy. It was speed to kill, man. And Oz Akeem was that dangerous. You know, he, he was, like you said, like, Obviously, Tyreek Hill is the fastest, yeah. but Oz Akeem was that breakaway speed kind of guy where it's like, man, and to me, I loved Oz Akeem, especially in that this little run here because he was so up and down, but when he was on, it was like yeah, he was you felt like he's one of the most dangerous players in the game. You know, he had that kind of breakaway speed. And then Ricky Prohl was the fourth one, but like still, like you had those four receivers there, and you have, you know, Jose's guy, Marshall Falk in the backfield, just being amazing. Yeah, that 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 group of players, man, and with that quarterback just slinging it everywhere and not scared to throw it anywhere. I mean, again, you know, Kurt Warner had a lot of turnovers, things like that. But you know, at this time, man, he was he was on point. He's super accurate. Again, we talked about his arm strength, and but you talked about it, man. Those three wide receivers and that speed out there, like we've seen offenses with, with like speedy wide receivers before. Like you know, the Forty ers with Rice and Taylor, they, they were pretty quick and. But it, it wasn't a collection like that of that type of speed, right? And then you're you're you know, you have that speed, but now you're also playing a wide open offense. Like we talked about we did a show on Warren Moon, check the archives. Check them. And you know, we talked about the run and shoot offense and those wide receivers, but they weren't all like super quick wide receivers. You know, you had Jeffries who was a big possession type of guy, he was like six four. But these guys, they all can burn, man. And then you just said like you had Marshall Falk in the backfield. And what they were doing with Marshall Falk, I, I had never seen before. You know, I, I know Roger Craig was the first 1,000, 1,000, you know, running back with, you know, 1,000 yards rushing and receiving. But what they were doing with Marshall Falk, man, like, it, it was super impressive, man. They were putting him out in space. They were putting him out as wide receiver. Like, this is the first team where I really can remember utilizing that wide receiver screen. Like, they were throwing a lot of screens with, like, a four wide receiver package. Like, it, he was like perfect, and I think Kurt Warner called him like, like um, he was like that secret sauce or whatever it was, mm-hmm. or like that for like the evil scientist, and you know, and that's exactly what he was. It was like the offense started with Marshall Falk, and then like you can get him in space if you couldn't, then you're gonna throw it all over the place, and that's what made this 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 offense so amazing because people think like, all right, well they were just a passing offense. No, if they needed to run the ball, they were they were handing the ball to Marshall Falk, and they would they can do that successfully. And that's the thing. It it was, you know, it was adapted. Mike March is a big fan of Don Coryell, 
and Don Coryell started it, but Mike Martz took it to another level. That is what we see today. Right. You know, and I'm glad you brought up the run and shoot because the run and shoot's different. A with not all receivers had that kind of speed, but with not the fact of a Marshall Falk, you didn't have to defend the entire football field. Exactly. With this greatest tur- uh, show on turf offense, it's the first time defenses really had to defend the entire field, and especially with the X factor of Marshall Falk. And hey, you look at it now, like those Chiefs, what you see with Aaron Rodgers and with Peyton Manning and all that, like this whole path, really the whole 21st century of NFL football, it gets started. You know, we talk about Y2K and stuff, like changing <laughs> things. It starts with the greatest show on turf, Rams. And that offense, man, it was electrifying. And you really did. It was just, you know, we talked in our Madden episode how Madden football was so different. That was the first time for me it was like, oh, what I'm doing in Madden, I'm now seeing on an actual NFL field every damn week. Yeah, and that's why, for me, that greatest show on turf, that nickname is like, it fit them perfectly because that's exactly what they were. Like even if you weren't a Rams fan, you're you're watching them play at four o'clock. Like you're like, oh, I'm, I'm going to watch that Rams 49ers game or that Rams Atlanta game or right. whoever they were playing, and it was super entertaining, man. Like that team again was doing like you said, like that Madden stuff, and you know, and just again, I'll, I'll go back to it. Like that speed, man, the speed, 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 and that's speed like that is fun to watch. You know, we're watching it again with Kansas City and these other teams today. Um, but this was this is where it started, like for me, and it was just like, not only were they putting up points and putting up a lot of yards, and we'll get into like numbers and things like that, but like the the type of style of offense they were they were coming out with, and you know a lot of motion, and you see you see that right, today. Right. It's like it's hard to key on a guy because you can just put him on in motion, and like now he now he has that single coverage because you're doing things like that. The Rams were one of the first teams that that really started that. And you have to give props to the offensive line. You know me, I love the O-line. But it's different because those offenses you saw before, you had, hey, you had the tight ends as blockers, the backs as extra blockers. With this offense, everyone's going out. So that core... You know, those, those guys up front, that's who was blocking, and you had to make sure. Like you said, Kurt Warner wasn't a mobile quarterback, so the and he did get hit in some games, but yeah. they did a good job of protecting him in this run, and that was also an underlying thing that people don't talk about. You need the weapons for sure, but if that offensive line was faltering, then this would be hard to kind of get across here. So I think you got to give props to them, Orlando Pace and those guys, to yeah. really letting Kurt Warner have that time because that was the key, and Mike Marsh said it. Hey, you can't cover everyone. If we get two, three seconds to get that ball off, somebody's getting open. Marshall, Oz, hell, could even be Ricky Prohl. <laughs> but, you know, Isaac, Tory, you can't cover everyone. So we have enough time, somebody's going to be open. Yeah, it definitely it starts there. Like, he, he needs time. Again, it was a lot of seven-step drops. It's not what you see today. It's like, you know, the Tom Brady, you know, get the ball out in right, two seconds. Right. It, it wasn't that. Their offense was predicated on, you know, a lot of, like, curl-ins and things like that, a lot of slant patterns, but most of it was down the field, though. They were utilizing that speed, and you need time to do that. And, again, the line was great. You know, you start with Orlando Pace. He was a all-pro, great left tackle, Hall of Fame left tackle, Ohio State alum as well. Oh, jeez. But um, you need time. You need time to throw the ball, and they, they, they definitely did that. And like you said, like there were games where he didn't have as much time, but guess what? He still hung in there and was getting getting rid of that ball. And when those when that offensive line struggled again, Mike Marks was like, "All right, we're going to get the ball to number twenty eight. You know, and it's funny because Chris Berman on NFL Primetime he gave them the nickname, yeah, you know, greatest show on turf. And for me, it's kind of the first time I remember 
I used to love NFL primetime, and I think it, you know you can still watch on ESPN Plus with you know Berman does it, and and yeah. it's Booger McFarland, and it, it's it's nice because like you get a little bit of the music and stuff, but I really do, and this is something I'm not just trying to be like get off my lawn or oh, I really do feel bad for people who missed out. Yep. On NFL primetime on ESPN when you had Berman and Tom Jackson, and that's what you that's where the highlights everyone went after the yeah. last four o'clock game was done, or even the last one was still going. You went seven thirty, ESPN, and you wanted to see Chris Berman, Tom Jackson, and Berman had the nicknames and all that. And I remember when I watched NFL primetime before this team, I watched for players. I watched just to see the highlights of all the games because you know. Unless you had the dish kind of around a certain time in the nineties, you just had whatever yeah. Fox and you know uh, CBS, CBS or, or NBC yeah. had. You had those two games, so you wanted to see all the other games. But I wanted to see okay if Dion did something or just see with Barry. This was the first time I wanted to see the a team's highlights. Yeah, I wanted to see the greatest show on turf. I wanted to see the whole team's highlights. I knew I maybe saw like they dropped like fifty or something on somebody, <laughs> yeah. but I wanted to see Boomer and TJ do these highlights and to see this amazing offense. Yeah, and and again they didn't disappoint. Every every week it was something like wow, like you know one of my favorite one of my favorite plays. I can't remember what year it was, um, and it was an Azakim touchdown. He caught a pass on the flat and he took it for like whatever, like fifty, sixty yards, and it was him. And Tory Holt by themselves, and they were like racing each other. And I was like, I had never seen anything like that. I'm not saying they're the first to ever do that. I had never seen anything like that. And I was like, man, like that's cool. Like you know what I'm yeah, saying? Like, yeah. and I'm looking at other teams, and I'm like, other teams might have a guy that fast, maybe one. These guys have three, you know. And we're just talking receivers, and and to see that, you see people do that all the time now. You know, we mentioned Tyreek Hill. Like I've seen him do that with another player. He'll like run and catch up to him and stuff. <laughs> But these two guys were running side by side, looking at each other, man, just just having fun. And that's what it was with this team that I used to love to watch. It looked like they were having fun. It looked like they were in front of my house playing and waiting for the car to come by so that way they can just start playing again. And that's exactly what it looked like. It looked like they were on, you know, they were in the schoolyard chucking the ball around. And every once in a while you give it to that one kid that everybody hates because he make you miss. And and that's what he had a Marshall Falk. And it was just a fun team to watch. And, you know, I was going to – but before we get into, like, more of that 99 season, we got to talk to me about and deeper with Marshall Falk and this three-year run from 99 to 2001 where, to me, it's hands down he's the best player in football yeah. in this three-year run. But it's also – it's maybe – we'll keep it just to running backs. It's hard to find a better three-year run it's in there. NFL history. You know, and it's not just straight-up rushing. <laughs> it's the all all purpose yards, everything. It's hard to find a better three year run than what Marshall Falk had from ninety nine to two thousand. Really ninety eight, you can say it started. So you want to go to a four year run? We can do three. We can do four. I think four makes the case even better for Marshall Falk. Yep. If you give his last year with the Colts, but it's hard to find that three to four year run where Falk's the best player in football. And you look at running back in NFL history, it's hard to find someone who did what he did. Yeah, and so let's let's just keep it into the Rams, right? Because that '98 season again, he run he rushes for over 1,300 yards, um, and 908 yards receiving. Now we just talked about how Roger Craig was the first only running back to get a thousand yards rushing and receiving. This guy almost did it in '98. Then comes '99, this season right here that we're talking about. He rushes for 1,381 yards 
then adds 87 more catches for 1,048 yards. So he he had he run he had seven rushing touchdowns, five receiving touchdowns. You know that that's an amazing season right there. Kurt Warner won MVP. He came second place. So in this three year run, he came in second, first in MVP, and then second again. Mm-hmm. Like th- that's an amazing run. So all right, so he does something that only one other player does right in this season in '99. Then the following season, he follows it up with 1,359 yards, 18 touchdowns. And then another 830 yards receiving with another eight touchdowns. So he breaking, he's breaking the touchdown records at this point. And then you go for the next season. How can he follow that up? He gives you another 1382 rushing with 12 touchdowns and another 83 catches with 765 yards receiving and another nine touchdowns. Like yeah. this dude, they were calling him Superman. And that's for a reason because what he was doing, and like you said, this three-year run, and I was thinking about this earlier, so I'm glad you said that. I would put this three-year run with anyone. Yeah. Walter, Barry, Emmett, anybody. I don't know if you can Thurman. I don't know if you can <laughs> I don't know if you can put any other run with this. I don't think it's going to compare. No, no. And, I, and I'm not saying Marshall Falk's the greatest running back ever. He's no. he's one of the greats. Yeah. He's but, a top ten. Yeah, I can make a case he's top ten running back. You know, I agree with that. But I, I have to say, like, uh that's what's just so impressive with it. He can pull that off. And honestly, you have to look at it. I don't know. It's just 87 catches. You know, he gets 1,000, 1,000, you know, 99 joining Roger Craig. 87 catches. I think even now that's higher than a lot of tight ends and receivers. But <laughs> yeah. back then, he's probably high up for most catches in the league, you know, better than a lot of, like, top receivers at that time. You know, that's back then it was unheard of to hear to get 1,300 yards rushing but also 87 catches. And he wasn't. It wasn't like today's offense where a lot of like he did have those dump offs. He's running legit receiver routes. Right. He's right. a legit downfield receiver. You know, Warner's hitting him for a twenty yard completion. Like so, they weren't just eighty seven little dump offs. Yeah, we're, we're not talking Larry Centers here. Yeah, like, you yeah, know what I mean? Like guys yeah. like that who who are rushing for five hundred yards, but are more of a threat receiving, catching. Like you said, like those little. You know, like those little dump offs and screen passes. He was getting those, but I agree with you one thousand percent. He was, he was a probably the best running back at this time, and maybe a top twenty wide receiver. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like he was that that impressive and that like he, he was just he can do it all, man. Like you know what I mean? If you wanted to return punts, he would probably be a top five punt returner. Like he he was this run here, but just his career. He had an amazing career. I, I, like I said, I love Marshall Falk, but. This three-year run, man, was such an impressive run, man. And again, I go with I go to Mike Martz. I give him a lot of credit for this because again, he was you know everybody calls him like that evil genius, but he knew I got Marshall Falk. I got to get this dude the ball. You know, so Rams '99, they finished with a 13 and three year, division champs, top seed in the NFC. They went up going through the playoffs. They beat Minnesota at divisional. They went a tough, hard fought NFC Championship game. Low score, eleven to six over what we would wind up knowing was an all-time defense with Tampa Bay. Yeah, those and not to jump in, but those games were fun. Like they played a couple times those next couple seasons, and man, I used to love watching those games because again, we're talking about this all-time great offense. And again, the Rams had a good defense this season too, but you know we're keeping it to the offense. And then you can talk about that offense, but those Hall of Fames we were just talking about, and now you got another team with a great defense. With a bunch of Hall of Famers on there with Sab Brooks. Now you got John Lynch. John Lynch and possibly Barber. And 
you know, you got Simeon Rice, and you have all these great defensive players. And that matchup, man, was so much fun. I'm already played a Monday Night Football one year, mm-hmm. and I was like, man, I'm not missing this game. It was great. It was awesome. And they they get through that, and they get to the Super Bowl. They're playing the Titans, who are a tough team at that point. And a lot of people forget Tennessee. It's a shame they they're, they you know maybe a future episode one of those best teams that never won it. Tennessee was yeah. good with McNair and Eddie George and Jeff Fisher coaching them. And, and Javon Curse. Yeah, they had the freak you know that awesome rookie year he had in '99. But you know the Rams to me it's awesome. We know what happens. You know we heard the open of the show. The Rams get that win. You know, they were up 16 nothing. The Titans come back. But I do think it's kind of poetic justice that the play that, you know, wins it for <laughs> the Rams is not offense, it's defense. Yeah. And it's Mike Jones. Mike Jones. Mike Jones. Mike Jones makes that tackle on Kevin Dyson, stopping him at the one-yard line for the Rams to get that title. Yeah, and that, that was one of the best games I've ever seen. We were talking about the Divisional this past weekend, but that was one of the best Super Bowls I ever. That Super Bowl had me on the edge of my seat, and, again, I didn't have a rooting interest, but – Watching what McNair did on that second half and that comeback and what Eddie George did. Eddie George is a Ohio State alum. He's no, one boy. of my favorite players. He's a Philly dude. Like, I loved Eddie George. And, you know, that Titans team was fun to watch, too. It was a, you know, it was a beat-you-up type of team. And, you know, that was a, it was a good matchup because it was like the total opposites of each other, right? And, again, you just talked about that Dyson, you know, pass, and which was a good pass. I'm not sure how the hell he didn't break that tackle, but it was a great tackle by Mike Jones. And, but then it had me thinking there, me right, and um, say they don't win that, say Dyson scores, right, and they they don't win that Super Bowl, and we'll get into next season and obviously oh one. But say you know, this team doesn't win a Super Bowl, man, like you know what I mean, like that that tackle had again we talked about legacies and you know what happened with Trent Green, but if that tackle is not made, that changes a lot of this conversation as well. For sure, you know we may not even be doing this show, you know today if it, if it wasn't for that tackle, but the tackle was made. You know what I'm saying? And you got to give credit where credit is due. They had an amazing season. And I, I saw um, I saw someone on ESPN was talking about this year's uh, Bengals with Joe Burrow and, you know, and, and Jamar Chase and that great offense and Mixon and all of them. And so he was talking about, like, this is the greatest turnaround in NFL history, what Joe Burrow is doing to that organization and all that. And I was like, I don't know about that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, is that the first team I thought of and the first player? And for, well, the first team was this Rams team and how, you know, they were a laughing stock, just like the Bengals were, I guess, you know. But the Bengals had success with Palmer and Ocho Cinco and, and Hushmanzada. But, like, this Rams team had nothing for a long time. You know what I mean? And for, for to come from 4 and 12 to 13 and 3 and to become the best thing, the biggest ticket in the NFL. It's saying something. It's it's to me always an NFL top ten years ago had a episode on this top turnaround seasons. You know from one you know one years, like you know from you know the previous year you were awful. The next year what happened? And this ninety nine Rams was number one. And I mean the story's still out on this year's Bengals. Yeah. To me, until you get to the bowl, you're not right. in a discussion honestly right. with the ninety nine Rams. I I think if they get there and win. I still don't think they're there with the 99 Rams, that this is the greatest turnaround job in NFL history, and it's lasted. I mean, I don't think the Bengals would beat the 81 Niners in that turnaround job, what the Niners did back in 81. I would maybe put it, I don't know if it's ahead of the 99 Colts. It's close, though. It's closer, but I'm not not sure if it's ahead of the Colts, how bad they were, and they were 3-13 and to go to... 
thirteen and three the next year. Yeah, and that and that's another organization where we were just talking about it earlier was bad for a very long time. Like very like they had that one run with um Harbaugh, I think it was like ninety five, I yeah. think it was, and you know, and Pittsburgh beat them in the AFC championship game. But that was it. <laughs> like what I can remember. That was it. That was you it. know, and and so that was like decades of of you know, losing and things like that. And I know this again, this Bengals team is you know, doing the same thing, and that's a that's a great turnaround. I'm happy for the city of Cincinnati, but this team again, they didn't just they didn't just go from worst to first. They went to from worst to first, but they became the the most exciting team in the NFL. They became the team that everybody would want wanted to watch. Everybody had the jerseys on and the Rams gear, and it it, it became the team of the NFL. It's like if they if like the Chiefs were three and thirteen, and now they're you know, they came and bounced back, and now right. they're the talk of the NFL. That's the same thing. And that's thing. why I think you can't compare it is right. because the, Bengal, the, the Bengals weren't the talk of the AFC or the talk of the league this year. They were good. They, you know, they went up winning their division this year. But you didn't watch them and say and look at what they're doing record-wise or even on the field right. and go, this is the best team in the league or best team in the AFC. Yeah. The Rams, you know, we talked about it, start off hot and then – they were three and zero. That win in week five over the Niners. So then from then on, you know Warner's on cover of Sports Illustrated. Who's this guy? Yeah. They have the attention as they're undefeated. Who is this team? So to go the whole year wire to wire being dominant is different to yep. me for a turnaround job than you're good and then you kind of sneak past some teams. Yeah, in the you playoffs. get hot at the end. You know, so that's where it's like it's just hard to beat that because. It's not just like, oh, worst to first kind of like, oh, they get it. It's worst to, like, dominance. <laughs> like, you know, it's like it's, that, that's a totally different yeah, thing it where it's like we just kick your ass. We were getting our ass kicked last year. Now we're kicking everyone's ass from start to finish. And they did that. And and they and that, that rubbed a, a lot of people the wrong way, too, because they were running up the score on on teams. And, and I was watching them, and I remember – I was in this Madden league, right? And it was I loved the league. No, it was it was it was fun, dude. And we had this one guy. He was like super annoying. I didn't even know who he was. And the next thing you know, he's like Rams down, and like you know that yeah, guy. Yeah. And you know he's the biggest Rams fan, and whatever, dude. Like that that was you know that happens every time, right? When you have a great team, and it's like the those fans, like those you know those fans that were not really rooting for that team before, like LeBron, like you know how like you went to the Heat and then he went to the, back to Cleveland and those fans kept flip flopping and stuff. Now and, they're with the Lakers. Yeah, now they're Lakers fans, but like those fans, like those bandwagon fans, and you know you were getting that with the Rams. But man, like I said earlier, there was just such a fun team to watch, and you're exactly right. Like they went from they couldn't barely beat anybody to just rolling over teams yeah. and blowing, putting fifty point. You know, games up on them and beating teams by 30, good teams by like 20, 30 points. So then they deserve to do all that stuff. So, you know, exactly. So they, they win 99 in a couple days. And it was kind of, if you watched it, Shocking. you knew that Dick Vermeil, like if you watched the clips like at the Super Bowl afterwards, he was going to step down. Two days after like the win, Dick Vermeil resigns. Yeah, day after the parade. Yeah, he, he resigns as the, the head coach of the Rams. And they they bring up you know Mike March. He's one year as an OC and he's the head coach. And I gotta ask Jose because Dick Vermeil then goes on a couple years later to Kansas City and he wins a division title and stuff. But and he's later said he regrets stepping down. Yep. How much of a difference do you think it makes if Dick Vermeil stays after this '99 season? I, I think it's a big difference. I, I know, and we'll get into the next season, but. You know, injuries hurt them the following season in, in 2000. And, um, you know, again, we'll, we'll get into that. But, you know, to 
Mike Mars, like you said, he was a one first year OC, did a great job, obviously. So he was like the natural hire. Like everybody wanted Mike Marks, understandably. But, you know, I'm sure there were a couple games there where Vermeer was playing, maybe the Rams do go like get those couple wins. You know what I mean? They went ten and six in two thousand, but he, he was a new offensive coordinator. So to go to head to from offensive coordinator from one year to head coach, that's a huge jump. You know what I mean? In, in any in any in any league, but in the NFL, that's that's pretty much unheard of. Like you don't really do that. And um and he did it and he was because of that success of that offense. And he kept that offense rolling. But I do think Vermeil makes a difference that next season. Maybe a couple wins here and there, gets them in the playoffs again. Well, they were in the playoffs, but maybe they don't lose to the Saints that year. You know, like they mm-hmm. don't they maybe they get past the Saints and make another run. But yeah, I, I thought it was like you can, like you said, you can tell that he was gone, right? Like, but I, it was still a shock to me because I'm like, man, like I, I get wanted to go out on top, and this is what he wanted his whole life, and you know he worked hard for it. We talked about that earlier, but I, I would want to like, and again, I wasn't 60 years old either, but or 63 at this point, 64. You know, I, I would have wanted to come back and try to get another one. You know what I mean? Because you had that core, and that core was young, and that core wasn't going anywhere. So I, I was again still surprised that he he did step down. No, I I do think it's different, and I definitely think I say this. I don't know if they went win it all the next year in two thousand, or I don't think they win it in oh one. I don't think we're talking about this as a three year run if Dick Vermeil's the head coach. Yeah. Instead, you know, instead of Mike March, and part of me gets it. We've seen it later. At this point, it was really rare. You know, I think Andy Reid was a quarterback coach, and that was, like, weird that he got hired. Yeah, that was a shock. <laughs> you know, like, in 99. Now it's like, hey, the Eagles look like geniuses for hiring yeah. him. Or if you work for McVay, like, if you talk to him once. Oh, you talk to him? Yeah, you, know, you know Sean? <laughs> you were, okay, we're, we're hiring you. Wait a minute, you, you were a ball boy for him for a couple <laughs> games? Head coach. Like, Head now, coach. like, the whole, yeah, the McVay, that, that – Different. That, that annoys me. Yeah. But um, you know, you 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 spoke with Sean. Yeah, lunch with him once. Here, be the GM of this yeah, team. Yeah, you can run this team. We <laughs> love Sean. But so it's like, it's, I I don't know if it was a ploy because Mike March would have had interviews. He would have he would have been a hot commodity. And who oh, knows yeah. if he they keep him? Definitely, we know two years he's gone. But yeah. it, maybe the next year someone else does take him. You know, for two thousand, maybe he is a coach somewhere else. I don't know. So part of me thought about that when we, you know, getting ready for this episode is like, hey, that's a good point. You wanted to keep him. You don't want him to go away because he he's the mastermind behind this great offense. But I still think that's what hurt them. And Dick Vermeil had that. He knew how to be a CEO. And as tough as he was, he knew how to bring teams together. Yeah. And I think we've seen it with you know he coached the Eagles and Ron Jaworski in that famous clip of like you don't have to worry about me yanking you. You know, we'll see later on after 01 and stuff, there's kind of a yank in there. Kurt Warner would comp, and I think Dick Vermeer would have handled his confidence issues yeah. and the team's issues better than what Mike March did. Mike March was like a, the system guy, and let's plug in somebody else, and I'll draw up the plays and let's go. And that's the problem with coordinators sometimes making that jump. It's you have to think bigger than that. You're, like you said, a CEO. You got to see the whole picture. You're not just going for the offense or for the defense. You're looking yeah. at the whole thing. And I think Mike March didn't know how to do that. Yeah. And he also, and I could be totally wrong on this. You know, again, this is from obviously outside looking in, but he he also struck me, like you said, a system guy. And it just, like, I, I guess the difference 
looking from again from the outside, it was like Vermeil had relationships with all these guys, mm-hmm. and not that Marx didn't, but he just seemed like a guy that didn't. You know what I yeah, mean? Like, yeah. and it just it was like they were just playing for him, and he they were putting up numbers, and you know he was a smart guy, and it was just it just pretty much ended there. You know what I mean? Like, and you can see later on. You know, again, how this ended so quickly, and I think he had a part in that. You know what I mean? Like, and it was just Vermeil. If Vermeil's there, even for these next couple of years, I agree one hundred percent with what you said. This this is going to continue even to at least two more years. I don't know how long. Yeah, but it will continue. It doesn't like free fall. Just like again, just like the sky to the top. This thing, <laughs> it fell. It fell just as fast. You know, and I don't think that happens if Vermeil's there. And let's so let's look at it like so. 99 to 01. 99, we talked about day one. Vermeil steps down. March is in there. 2000, start off 6 and 0. Yeah. Warner gets hurt, you know, and stuff like that. They kind of start struggling a little bit down the stretch. Trent Green comes in some games and everything, but they wind up having to sneak into the playoffs and they had that loss to the Saints, you know, and it was a disappointing year there. I also wanted to say, it would have been interesting though if they would have gotten to the bowl that year and that offense against the Ravens defense. Yeah, maybe, maybe tops that whole '98 Vikings maybe. and Broncos as That's a good point. That Super Bowl, what if? Because I mean, boy, and that I, would have been fun. And I'll be honest, I I, I give them a good chance. Ah, hell yeah! You know, because again, like the strength of that Ravens defense was like you're not running on us. I mean, and they were good against the pass too. Don't get me wrong, but you know they. They've spread that defense out, you know, and those linebackers were great, but, you know, I, I don't see Boulware covering, you know, Marshall Falk anywhere. And as great as Ray Lewis was, I don't see him doing that, you know. And I think the Rams' defense was good enough to shut down that Ravens' offense for sure because that Ravens' offense was shit, you know. Bad. and But the Rams had a good enough defense to kind of shut them down. I, I, I would have given the Rams a, a good chance in that game. Yeah, so that could have been a what if. And then in 01, you know, they wind up, a lot of those guys for the Rams say oh one teams better yeah. than ninety nine. Yeah. They're fourteen and two. You know? Um, they have Aeneas Williams on the defensive side. These guys are, you know, you heard what uh Jose said what Marshall with Falk was doing that year. You know, Kurt was seeming like he's back, yeah, playing well. This team looked like they were poised to do it, and then we know what happened in Super Bowl thirty six with Belichick and those Patriots. And, you know, I kind of think too. Because that's two years after Warner's win. And I know we have, like, the whole movie now that just came out with Kurt Warner. But I feel like Tom Brady's underdog story was so close. It trumped it a little bit. It, like, yeah. now people kind of – now it's like Tom Brady, six-round draft pick. And it's like, well, Kurt Warner's undrafted, yeah. you know, working at a grocery store <laughs> Yeah, Brady overnight. came from Michigan, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, he wasn't at Whole Foods <laughs> or something. Like Yeah, you know what I mean? So it's like – I feel like I'm like, damn, it kind of stole Kurt Warner's like shine here. It's like that ultimate underdog story because Brady's an underdog story. Yeah, absolutely. But it's not Kurt Warner's story, in my mm, opinion. No, not at all. You know, so it's like I kind of always felt bad for Kurt. I'm like, yeah, he got booted real quick there with Tom. I mean, Brady's story is amazing. You know what I mean? And then the success that he had, and I get it. But, yeah, I, I think Warner's story is, is a better story, you know. But this, like you said, this – to get into the season again, this 0-1 team was was no joke, man. Like, they were steamrolling teams. Like, we talked about how great they were in 99, 2000. They had a bunch of injuries. Warner breaks his finger and all that good stuff. And they were still 10-6. and 6, You know what I'm saying? But now they're adding to that defense that like you talked about, Aeneas Williams. And now you got this offense again still putting up 
mega numbers, man, against all these great teams, all these teams in general. Um, you, but you talked about Aeneas Williams. They had London Fletcher. Like they had a, they had pieces in that on that defense as well. And everybody knew, you know, once Aeneas Williams came, they were like, all right, like now they just kind of rounded out that defense. We already know what the offense is about. Like this team's going to make it. They're going to be back, and and they were, you know. But again, we talked about the team they played in that Super Bowl in 01, man, and it's the Patriots. And it's funny, Ricky Pro, the beginning of that game. They were like, you know, with the camera was on the field and stuff. He was like, you're going to see the start of a dynasty today. Mm-hmm. And he, was, he was right. <laughs> he was right. He was 100% right. But just, he was talking about the wrong team, man. And and we all know we all know what Belichick did to that offense. That you day. know, the Rams, 14-point favorites in that game. Everyone did think the game was done. Yeah, I ain't going to lie. I, I didn't think the game was going to be close. No, no. I was hoping for a close game. Yeah, of game. course. Yeah. I mean, because they played in the regular season, right. those two teams. And the Rams barely beat them. You know, they had to bring out a, a couple of plays at the end of the game. Marshall Falk with a nice pass at the end for a third down conversion. I think they beat him by like seven points or something like that. And, you know, even Mike, Mike Mart said it like later on. He was like, man, that was the best team I've ever coached against. Like they were coached well. That 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 Patriots defense was great. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like they had a lot of great players, a lot of Hall of Fame players. And, um, you know, they gave they gave they gave the blueprint. And that's why I think this free fall came from as well. Like, we can talk about injuries and stuff, but the blueprint that the Eagles put on them in the NFC Championship game, the Eagles had them. They were up at halftime. You know, and then again, we talked about Marshall Falk, and, you know, he just took over that second half. He had like 22 rushes in that second half, and the Eagles had no answer for Marshall Falk. But, you know, again, the Eagles were blitzing them and beating them receivers up, and New England just took that to, like, level four and just abused those receivers. And... You know, we always talk about this game, right? Not always, but when we talk about defensive, like, schemes and plans, and we talk about Super Bowl twenty five a lot, and we talked about it in our last episode, and what Belichick did to that, you know, K-gun offense that the Bills had, and he just beat them up and shut them down. You know what I mean? Like, he did it to those 49ers team in, in, in that, that 90s NFC Championship game, and he took the same game plan to this team, to this game in 01, and he, t- he did the one thing that... The people weren't trying to do. Right. Number 28, he's not doing anything against us. We're going to take him away. And and they did. And obviously it worked. Yeah. And it, and the funny thing is, I, I think you can look. And I think sometimes people say, no, teams don't get distracted by the. I think the Rams got distracted by the hype in that game. Oh, they were feeling themselves. And they were like, hey, it's, it's us. It's our time. And don't get me wrong. Part of it I get. I do too. You know, fourteen and two. You won it two years ago. Steamrolled through the league this year again. Your offense has three years in a row of getting over five hundred points, breaking all these records. Yeah, it's, over six thousand yards. Yeah, it's a video year. game type yeah. thing. And a defense, you 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 kind of shirt it up a little bit. You patched it up. I I get it. Hell, the divisional game that year against Green Bay. I mean, we know Favre likes to throw picks, but he got six interceptions. Yeah, from Brett Favre in a divisional game, you know, against the Packers, and you beat the Eagles in that hard-fought game. So it's like, yeah, you're feeling. And who's this Patriot? They shouldn't be there. It's a the damn Tuck rule got them there. Brady, which, which it did, which it did. Brady got hurt in the championship game against Pittsburgh. You know, who's starting? Drew or Tom? Is Tom healthy? I think they were feeling themselves. And I again, like you said, I I I would have too. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the whole league is telling them how great they are. They're Two touchdowns favorites in the Super Bowl, man. Like, 
that's nowadays we don't really get that too much. Like it, it's pretty even nowadays. But at that time, yeah, you looked at that because everybody was focusing on that Patriots offense and what were they going to do. And you know, you got Brady and you got these couple receivers here. Like they didn't have much. You know, O line was decent, but you know they didn't really have too much. And then you looked at that defense. Like yeah, that defense is stacked. Like they have a really solid defense. Um, but they just they just beat <laughs> they just beat the Rams up, especially the. That first half, that first half, the Rams had no answer. They scored three points in three quarters, like, you know, and they just, they didn't have an answer for that Belichick defense. And then they kind of made the shift. And Mike Marks talked about he wanted to open the game up in like a two-minute offense, and he said he should have done that. And they, and he's right, because once they did that, they started taking over the game. Yeah. And you know, we know what happens in that game, but, Jose, when you look at it, 99, they won 2000, wild card loss, 2001, Super Bowl loss. Do you think it's disappointing that in that three year run, they just got that one Super Bowl title? Yeah. And like I mentioned earlier, they barely got that one. You know what I mean? Like, and it was just a yard away. And just a sidebar, like, imagine being a Titans fan and losing the Super Bowl that way. I would, dude, I wouldn't go to work till like Thursday or something, <laughs> man. Like, but anyway, I, if they lose, if they lose that game to the Titans, they have zero Super Bowls. You know what I'm saying? And that's and not only are they underachieving, they're a disappointing team. Like, you know, they got the one, so I, you know, you got to give them that. Like, and then again, the season after, you can kind of see, all right, well, they were banged up. You know, they made that late run, so you know, I I can understand that. And they bounce back in 01 with a great season, and then they lose. But then again, like, look who they lose to, right? Like that's that's why I always look at it as well. Like they lost to. You know, again, we all know the game, like Deremy was talking about. Brady brings him back, you know, Hall of Fame. Obviously, going to be a Hall of Fame player. Vinatieri kicks that field goal. is going to be a Hall of Fame player. Like, you know, they lost to a dynasty, the best dynasty of all time, and in my opinion. And so I, I can almost understand. But they were the better team that game. Like, if you look at them on paper, like yeah. they, overall, they were the better team. And I agree. I, and I think, yeah, and I think a lot of people would agree with that. And they... Should have they should have they should have won that game like you know what I mean and again you you hear the Rams they we, you know if we would have went into overtime you know we would have won that game I, I, who knows you know what I'm saying but they didn't and they lost and it was a big time upset and then again we said it like that was that was the end of it so let me ask who do you blame then because it's a three year run and you look at it you're not looking at it like oh there's a bunch of old guys on this team Aeneas Williams is older at this point yeah you know and he's playing like. You switch from corner to safety, but you're looking at this, and you're not looking at a bunch of older guys on this team. You're thinking, okay, even after 01, they still have the core here, but it's a instant free fall after they lose Super 02. It's a struggle. It's bad. Who do you blame, Jose, or blames if you want to make it plural? Yeah, for this free fall, this three year run that people thought would have went for five or six years, it's three and greatest show on turf is done. Yeah, and, and and that's the shocking thing, man. That's like one of those like shocking moments in in sports for me. Like watching this run, and then again, like in two thousand two, you're like, hmm, like you know what I mean? Like they're they're struggling again, like they did in two thousand. Let's see if they bounce back. And I just, but you can feel like teams have caught up with this team, and you know this is not. And the I think I remember the Eagles beat them the next season, and I was like, this is not the Rams anymore. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you're not afraid of the Rams anymore. So. For me, I think it starts with Mike Martz, in my opinion. Like, I, I felt like, again, we were talking about it earlier, like maybe developing like relationships with players, things like that. Like, 
you know, you have free agency that hurt them as well. Like we talked about Oz Akeem. He goes to Detroit. You know, he wanted to be a number one, which I totally get, right? He was putting up numbers and, you know, but we all see what happened. He wasn't like that number one right, receiver. Right. You know what I mean? And, you know, you start, you got, you got injuries, you got free agencies starting to hit them. You know, I think Mike Martz, he was a more senior or tenured coach. Again, if he had, you know, if you got Dick Vermeule there, that's not free falling that way. It's definitely not free falling that way. I also blame, you know, like front office. Now you got poor. Now you're drafting late in the, later on in, in in first round things like that. But you know you bring in guys like Trump candidate, like mm-hmm. thinking he's going to be like the next Marshall Falk, and he's not. Like you know now you're not drafting well. Plus you're losing. Your players are getting like getting hurt and things like that. That's for me. Like it's just like a little bit of all of that. But again, Mike Martz, I look at him. That's the number one person I'm looking at, and it's like. He just let this thing free fall almost. And it's weird because Kurt Warner struggled from O yeah. two, you know, and, and into O three, he's struggling. But and at that point, I remember, you know, he winds up getting cut in O four. Yeah. He gets the Giants pick him up. He's the starter for when they drafted Eli. Which was he was playing terrible. And there. He was terrible. And at that point there's discussions like, is it like this rough for Kurt? Is he a Hall of Famer? And I was like, No. No. These three years are great, but he's not a Hall of Famer based on that. But then what makes it weird is that he goes to Arizona and he has Fitz and Bolden. Don't get me wrong. Edwin but James. Yeah, but he emerges. Yeah. And he comes and it's like, okay, old Greybeard. Yeah. He's coming out here slinging the ball around. And to me, that's that bumped him into being a Hall of Famer. Yeah. So then you wonder what happened then at the end in St. Louis. He had some injuries, but where what happened with that confidence shaking? Yeah. And that's kind of where I look at Mike Martz as well, you know? Yeah, and then the way they handled that, like I, I can remember his um his wife, his wife was going on the Brenda. Ring. Yeah, Brenda. She was like the first real like wife I can remember yeah. in the NFL. Like she's always stood out for whatever. Well, she reason. had like the short gray haircut and you always saw it looked her. like his mom. I kind of thought so too. <laughs> I was like, that's his wife? I was like, okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Brenda. Brenda was uh, like, like I know she went through some stuff and all that. Yeah, and I, yeah. I get that. We're not clowning her for that. But yeah, I remember seeing that. Like the short, great. I was like, is that his mom? Oh, he gave her a kiss. Yeah, I was like, like that's not his mom. Yeah, um, yeah. But I remember she went on the radio saying like he he had a broken hand because she's a nurse or something like that, and they were telling him it was bruised, and she was like, no, it's broken. And she went on radio called Mike Martz a liar and. Like, so that relationship, because what happened, well, I remember, like, Mike Martin, that Warner relationship, like, after that was obviously, like, you know, it was, the relationship was not as good as it was before. And then, you know, you got Mike Martz went through his stuff. He had that, like, infection in his heart or something like that. And he had to take some time off. And, you know, I, can, I remember the story where he was, he wanted to have a cell phone in, mm-hmm. like, in, like, the, 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 the off, not the office, the, um. The booth. The booth, yeah, with his offensive coordinator. So that way they can, and they. <laughs> And they, I guess the GM or somebody told them they weren't doing that. They like intercepted it. Yeah, <laughs> and he was all. They didn't even tell him, and he was like all pissed. So that relationship, Mike Martz in the front office was, you know, really rocky at that point, and it was just, it was just a crazy weird situation. And again, I go back to like I felt like, you know, him being so new and having that position, it, he wasn't ready to. He couldn't handle that. Yeah, you know, and I just think that his lack of leadership, or from again looking from the outside really killed this this dynasty. Absolutely, and I agree. I think that's where it messed up, and he believes in system over personnel. And I also I agree with you on front office, and to me a move that was huge was after, you know, the 01 season, you said Azakim leaving, 
that was okay. You know, we knew he wasn't really a number one. Yeah. But, hey, he went and got that payday. The move to me that hurt was the fact that I don't think they saw it. You couldn't see in the numbers. Yep. But they let London Fletcher, who yep. was the middle linebacker, the heart and soul of the defense. And a great player. Great player, a locker room leader, and had a great long career after this. Yep. But he was young at this point. London, they let him go to Buffalo. And I know Buffalo paid him, but when you have a guy who was young, really hell of a player, yeah. and such that key locker room force, you do what you have to do to bring him back. And I feel like that was the mistake from the front office, yep. Mike March. You lost the heart and soul of your defense. You lost the heart and soul of your locker room. And to me, not having a Dick Vermeulis head coach and also not having a London Fletcher there for when times are tough in 2 when you're starting 0-4 and Warner's banged up, you don't have a locker room leader, you don't have that coach who was a unifier, and it starts to rapidly kind of go downhill yeah. for the Rams. And then the leader on offense is having a rocky relationship with the head coach now and the front office because, you know, all this stuff is coming out about his injuries and stuff. And it was like, inwardly, it was like a perfect storm, man. It was just a lot of stuff just breaking down, breaking down, breaking down. You got Marshall Falk now. He's getting banged up. Like, he's not doing what he was normally doing. And it, it was just so many pieces into that mix that really, like, Again, contributed to that super free fall. Cause that that's what it was, man. It was just from the top to ugly right yeah. away, and it's like that type of offense. Again, like we talk about different offenses, which we will. You know, um, you look at like a West Coast offense, and you know, and I we can't compare like the Forty Nineers because they had two Hall of Fame quarterbacks. But you plug in another quarterback, and you can continue on with your system. But that type of system that the Rams were playing, and it's like. When it was bad, it was really ugly. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and it, it's like, you know, you can have some other teams where you don't play well, but still, like, you you know, whatever. But with that Rams offense, when you got to them and you can get to Warner and you can, like, you know, like throw the rhythm off those wide receivers, it, it was it, – that offense looked like shit, you know, and that's what it did in 03, 04, and then 05, Falk gets hurt and blows his knee out, and then he's done. It, it was just really bad really quick. But, like I say, to go back to it, I think – you know, what March did was he couldn't just handle that. And then but the front office did letting key players go and just having not not having good relationships with these players destroy that locker room. So, Jose, the question, and this is a tough one. It is. Because you look at it, you know, you have on the one hand, they have only a three-year run, two Super Bowl appearances, one Super Bowl title. People can say that they leave stuff on the table. It wasn't long enough, or should they have one more in that three-year time span? But then you have, hey, they came out of nowhere. The best, what many people feel, the best turnaround season in NFL history, a Cinderella story, an offense that helped change NFL history. So are they overachievers or are they underachievers? Mm, that's, that's a, that is a tough one, man, because, again, that's, that's one I haven't really given too much thought of. It was, like, so focused on, like, you know, obviously what we're talking about here in the show. But, no, I, I think with that talent they had offensively, and we talked about the talent they added defensively. Like, that defense had names, man. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you talk about Nees Willing, London Fletcher. You know, I remember they drafted Dre Bly. Like, Todd Light was Todd, there. Todd Light was there. They had um, DeMarco Farr. Farr was there. playing. Kevin Carter. Kevin Carter was the other defensive end. Like, they, they had names on this defense. And, I mean, I know that defense struggled because a lot of defenses, what people don't understand – 
It's like when you got an offense like this that's putting up numbers, the offenses against you are going to start throwing the ball too because they have to, and they're going to put up yards and put up numbers. But they had a, a good enough defense, a Super Bowl, a, like good enough defense to win a Super Bowl. But I think they underachieved with that talent they had on offense, man. You know what I mean? Like, again, and we talked about being 14-point favorites against New England, and you can say, yeah, New England won six Super Bowls, but that New England team was – it was a good team. That defense was really good. But that was not the best New England team that you know that we've seen, you know, in that in that run. Right. You know, so I think they underachieved. And again, we can go to like the Kurt Warner story and Dick Vermeil coming back. And but all right, they're back. You know what I mean? Like, and they did what they did in '99. And if they don't win anything else, then look, all right, that's a great story. They overachieved, you know. But you kept that talent for a couple years in a row, you know. And I get this. 2000 season injuries happened to a lot of teams, you know, but they still went 10 and 6, made the playoffs, lost at New Orleans. But I, I to me, with that, with those pieces they had, they definitely underachieved. What do you, what do you think, Jeremy? I think it's underachieved, and, and it's not to knock them that they shouldn't be remembered in NFL history. No, they're a great, they you were know, a great team. Just like the 85 Bears, we did that episode, you know, uh, in our archives about them. Like, they underachieved, but they definitely, rightfully so, are remembered in NFL history. Right. This team should be because it changed the NFL, and it's a great story in so many ways. But I'm looking at it. You have Kurt Warner, Falk, Isaac Bruce, Orlando Pace, Aeneas Williams at one point. So that's five Hall of Famers on your team in a three-year span. And then you look at Dick Vermeule as coach. Many people are talking about him coming up this year as a Hall of Famer. Tory Holt. Many people talk about him as a future Hall of Famer. So five with maybe counting going up to seven Hall of Fame. Well, five on offense. Five like, on offense. You know what I'm saying? Well, like, uh, if, Aeneas. If Holt, yeah, but if, oh, if Holt gets if, in. If Holt gets in, that's five on offense. He's right. going to get in. He's a finalist this year, and if he doesn't get in this year, he'll get in next year. But that'll be five on offense alone. You know what I mean? And you talk, you throw in Aeneas Williams, yeah. London Fletcher, who knows? You know what I'm saying? Like, he had a really good career. And, you you know, you throw in Vermeil as well. And it's so like, it's a lot of, you know, that's that's numbers that, like, to me, the, the 70 Steelers should have way more Hall of Famers. But if you start getting adding those guys in, you're kind of getting up there with teams like that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And for that one Super Bowl, it's disappointing. But it should be remembered, you know, that, hey— a team that doesn't, a city that doesn't have a franchise anymore, St. Louis, for a three-year span, they captivated the NFL world, and all eyes were on them, and rightfully so, because this offense has changed the way we see NFL offense to this day. Yeah, and what I what I really enjoyed about that Rams, that St. Louis Rams team, was like they weren't afraid to do things differently. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like a lot of teams in the NFL, like we always hear, like you know, it's a copycat league and you couldn't copy this. You know what I mean? Like you, teams tried, but you, it was tough to copy this. The te- the speed that they had on offense, the the players they actually had, like the Marshall Fox, and you talked about the Kurt Warners, and you know that type of style of players. You couldn't copy that. Teams tried, and again, like you know, we talked about it. How the league is today, it's they're copying from that. You know what I mean? From that this Rams, you know, three year run, and it's like let's put as much speed as we can on offense. You know, let's get this offensive line working and have a good solid offense. Make sure we protect the passer and have have one player that we can constantly get the ball that he's going to make plays no matter where you're at. And this was like another one of those teams where, 
you know, I, I can't remember a team having four guys on offense that if they touch the ball, they can score from anywhere. Mm-hmm. Normally a team will have like one or two possibly, you know, this team have four like legitimate like home run threats. And um, yeah, and they just couldn't get it done in some other big games. And, you know, and again, the Super Bowl they did win, they barely won that. You know what I mean? They won yeah. it by a yard. So, um, but I give I give this team credit, man. Like again, like I said, like they were they were Mike Mars wasn't scared to try things new. He shifted the way people look at offenses, and it was like always run first, you know, establish the run, play action pass. He was like, no, we're just gonna come out four wide receivers, and you know, we're gonna throw on third and one. You see everybody doing that now. You know right. what I mean? Like third and inches, we're gonna you know shotgun on the goal line. Like you know what I mean? Like stuff like that. Like these teams, this Rams team started doing that stuff. And again, it's a copycat league, and then the rest of the league started doing it. So. But they did underachieve, and all those differences and all that stuff yeah, they changed, yeah. they should have won a little more, and it, this run should have lasted a little more because that that offense was young enough to have a six year, seven year run. Because you look at Torrey Holt continue to play well, you know what I mean? Like he was had he had a, again a, possibly a Hall of Fame career, and you know again you had Isaac Bruce was a little older, but you know Kurt Warner wasn't like fifty years old, Marshall Falk. No, they they had a young enough yeah. offense to do it. They yeah. really did, and it, it's. Shame, and that's what made it shocking back then of how it free falls so fast. So, no, I agree. I do think they it was an underachievement, man. Yeah, I, I mean, again, a great team, great team to, to watch. You know, it was just really fun to watch. And again, the greatest show on turf. I, I would never forget this run here ever. No, no. So, this was a, uh, I, we do, we, we, we agree on them underachieving, you know, uh, disagree on Thurman Thomas, but we know you love Thurman, but <laughs> I, that's okay. But, Jose, as always, man, this was this was fun. This was a pleasure, buddy. Yeah, man. And again, like we do here at Bigger Than the Game, we talk about those teams that some of y'all may have forgotten about. And, you know, some of these teams we bring up, like this Rams team, this was a great team. Like, you know, if you don't know about the Rams, go to YouTube, check out their highlights, man. They're, 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 it'll be fun to watch. So for the president of Thurman Thomas Club, Mr. Jose Ruiz, I'm Jeremy Dove. Thank you guys for listening to Bigger Than the Game. Take care. Peace. <laughs>